Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. I am your host, Ginger, man just trying to survive quarantine, Mackenzie, and I'm joined once again by the Lady of Muskoka, the director extraordinaire, the B. Arthur of Canada, Autumn Smith. Well, hello, everybody from the wilds of the north. And we are, of course, joined once again by a returning guest. Welcome back, Lynn. Hello, Lynn. Welcome, morning. welcome. Morning, both of you. Hi, how are you? Oh, yes, it's so you. wonderful to have oh. Lynn Plotkin back in our house. Oh, I know, I know. Autumn, what are we doing this week? This is your choice of a show, so what is it? Well, I thought I'd take us back to the days of the traveling carnival and introduce the wonderful Carousel. ironic that we're doing this today because Mm -hmm. you know news just came down yesterday of the cancellation of the x this year so yeah yeah they canceled the x it's it's only the second time and it's like however long history 142 years or something Mm -hmm. yeah that they've they've had to cancel and the only other time was during world war ii you uh chose this show so what is it about this musical like compared to oklahoma why was this your rogers and hammerstein choice um i think it's the music it's more Mm -hmm. the music is more beautiful than that of oklahoma oklahoma Mm -hmm. is a little bit uh, still a little bit shticky for me i mean some of it isn't but a lot Mm -hmm. of it is playing on uh, uh you know midwestern tropes Whereas yes. this doesn't, you just get the lyricism of what Rogers created and it's mm-hmm. sweepingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all, also, many people call this a problematic musical. Yeah. And uh, I don't, I think it's, Ooh. I think if done properly, it's, it can be quite extraordinary and leave people walking away thinking about relationships and um, cycles of power within relationships. Mm-hmm. So I think it's I think it's an important piece in the canon. There are certain uh, like I I watched the Kennedy Center uh, version yesterday. Yes, with Renee Fleming and uh, yes. Justin uh, Muller, uh, which is mm-hmm. unbelievably astoundingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. But there are things that can be cut from the show. Certainly, it's very mm-hmm. long. Um, but it is, and it, you know what, it, it is one of those old musicals that really is also part ballet. I mean, there's so many dance movements in this piece. Yeah, there are. Um, that 
could highlight the choreographer's work. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I, I, for many reasons, I really love this musical. You, I think you should explain why people consider it a problematic musical. Yes, I was about, thank you, Lynn. I was about to say that is something we do need to address well, off the top. I guess I will address it off the top. We'll start yeah. with the depressing bits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, it basically is a love story between uh, Billy Bigelow and Julie Jordan. And he is abusive. He is abusive towards Julie. He is, mm -hmm. uh, in turn, in the second act, he is abusive towards his daughter, even though he's mm -hmm. technically time. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, if you haven't seen Carousel yet, um, but she keeps going back to him and she keeps trying to find the hope. And I think, you know, from a feminist perspective, it's problematic and I understand that. Mm -hmm. But if you look at relationships and certainly those, um, that are problematic in terms of domestic abuse, there's a cycle that happens, whether that is healthy or not that I think is showcased beautifully in Carousel. There is always questions asked whether it is better that Billy dies, whether, you know, Julie is making a good choice. And Billy has this internal struggle of uh, his abuse. Like he struggles with it akin to Bill Sykes in Oliver Twist, which is interesting, Linda, you're <laughs> For this one, um, I know it's it, it's it's very similar, and I think it has to be done properly. Otherwise, it it is it will be a very big problem. Mm -hmm. But I think if you if you allow that struggle to be a palpable player in the piece, um, it will be great work. That's so. Mm -hmm. It is about domestic abuse. It is about a complicated relationship. But we are faced all the time with complicated relationships. And, you know, it's funny, people will say, um, oh, Carousel is problematic, but Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is not. Meanwhile, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is full of domestic abuse, mm -hmm. just in a different way. In a different way, yeah. and a game, and a game of how those, the two main combatants love each other. Yeah. Yes. And it's, it's it's expecting us to trust that combat mm -hmm. and we do yeah mm -hmm. yeah we do mm -hmm. and i mean any any relationship has combat in it i mean that's what it's gonna sound really bad but there's always some kind of debate argument I'm, because we're unique individuals it's just about yeah. the extent of that debate Mm -hmm. And um, for me, the gaslighting and who's afraid of Virginia Woolf is definitely on par with any of the domestic abuse that, that happens in uh, Oliver Carousel. Mm -hmm. There we go. I've set yeah. the debate. You, I've set the debate you, point. You set it, and we will dive into it, as I'm sure we will when we start getting into some of the songs that we have chosen for our top three songs, for sure. Now, Lynn, we brought you back for this episode because we alluded to your thoughts and feelings about Carousel. If we 
hadn't asked you back, do you think you would have chosen this as one of the shows to come back to? Probably not because it, it I haven't seen it enough. Mm -hmm. There are other musicals that I've seen a lot and and love. Well, I'm glad we were able to coerce you back for this episode because I feel you're going to give it a great another aspect to this debate we're about to dive into with this oh my show. God. Okay. So I'm excited for this. And one of the things I just on jumping off your lovely debate point there about relationships and just the whole concept of them and Billy Bigelow and Julie Jordan, it's almost like once they get together, they're on this never-ending carousel with each other where they're just <laughs> going around in this continual cycle yeah. and, that, and then even and then even with his daughter the cycle just continues almost like the cycles of abuse where it just continually spins like as when you said with bill sykes who abused bill sykes that then made him abuse nancy it's that continual spinning cycle of the carousel so there we go that's something i just came to my head and I'm like, oh, well done, Rob. Huge metaphor. Yeah, but I, the, 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 the cycle stopped when Bill, uh, when Billy, Billy, Bill, oh yeah. my God, when Bi uh, Billy mm -hmm. was removed from the, from the carousel and removed in a way on his own, either by mistake or on purpose when he kills himself. Right. And he gets another chance and he screws that up too. Yep. And so my, you know, my innate uh, anger at such behavior kicks in. And I thought, oh, you're a piece of garbage. You're a waste of time. Well, no, he's not a waste of time. Um, it, to, to have him change uh, miraculously would be dishonest. It, it and totally so would go against it. The change comes elsewhere. The change mm -hmm. comes from his wife and his daughter mm -hmm. and hope and moving along. I saw a version mm -hmm. yesterday of Carousel. You, you know, you never walk alone. And yet Billy did. He walked back to heaven mm -hmm. where he, yes. and he was, he was invited into heaven, not the other place. <laughs> you know, he was, invited, he was invited into heaven, but he went alone by himself. So I thought, well, that's okay. I, I that, uh, who, we don't know where he became abusive. He was somebody who couldn't cope with disappointment. Uh, mm -hmm. he only thought he could become a barker in a carousel and leave it at mm -hmm. that. And, and, you know, you go there with all sorts of preconceived notions and say, oh, you could have done it and you did could have done this. And you could have done that. No, this is the character you accept him. You consider mm -hmm. him and you and and you accept him for what he is. Mm -hmm. He's abusive. I'm sorry, you're gonna die. Get out of my face. <laughs> I love it, Lynn. I love this. I love this so much. <laughs> Autumn Autumn, why don't so for some people who don't know Carissa, because this isn't one of the more frequently done Rogers and Hammerstein shows, as we'll get into the production issue, mm -hmm. this 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 has been one that's been kind of come through in cycles and then it goes away for a bit. So Autumn, what is Carousel, the plot of Carousel about? People can understand what so we many are. layers in this. Um, uh, the, the, the Sparks Notes uh, version mm -hmm. is this. Yeah. Uh, Billy Bigelow is a barker on the carousel. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. uh, is working and he meets Julie Jordan 
they have a thing, kind of Romeo and Juliet, love at first sight. Uh, the woman who owns the carousel uh, is jealous. She fires him. They run off together. Uh, her best friend, Carrie Pepperidge, is like, no, don't do it. Uh, mm-hmm. Carrie, uh, Julie, don't do it. And then at the same time going, but you should marry someone like my fisherman, Enoch Snow. So there's another I love Enoch Snow. popping in. <laughs> You'd be a great Enoch Snow, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, I can totally see that, Cassie. I think you'd be great. Um, <laughs> and uh, essentially, we kind of follow their trials and tribulations. And uh, Billy gets uh, in cahoots with this uh, guy named Jigger. And he uh, goes to commit a robbery against uh, the man that fired Julie Jordan because she was dating Billy Bigelow. Right. Wow. Men have a lot of power in this society. Yes, um, they do. And then, <laughs> Jesus, when you say it out loud. No, and then uh, the robbery goes sour. And uh, Billy's left. Jigger runs off. He gets he gets away pretty much. And mm-hmm. Billy kills himself because he can't deal with the guilt. Before that, however, though, uh, Julie finds out she's pregnant. Um, yes. It's a, it's a musical soap opera, and then it's kind of like an opera in many ways, right? It's, it's very close to uh, it. Yeah, and then uh, he dies. Uh, Julie moves in with her cousin Nettie, uh, oh, Nettie, who was played recently by the magnificent Renee Fleming. Yes, oh, I love Renee Fleming. Um, and then uh, Billy gets a chance to come back to Earth 15 years later uh, to try to make good so he can get into heaven, mm-hmm. and he tries to um make peace with his daughter louise who is graduating and uh that's it doesn't go well but it does in the end it does there is a piece at the end of this and i'll tell you i watched it yesterday and i was skipping through things a little bit i must admit because i've done the show before and i got to the end and i watched the whole ending and i was a mess i was a puddle on the floor because mm. i was like it's mm. this pl- this whole thing is about redemption mm. and hope and possibility mm-hmm. and you're left not in a place so much of peace but of possibility which mm-hmm. is the, different yeah so that's there we that. go knows it and that's the plot, the plot. kind of Perfect. there's a lot of awesome there's a lot of extra plot in there too that comes in and out throughout but yes that is the streamlined version which was great but uh so the next thing we have is autumn Mm. why don't you give us a quick recap on who the creative team is of this because we did cover all of them when we did oklahoma so if you do want to hear our full bios for these people go back and listen to oklahoma uh but autumn who do we have here on the creative team again that some kind of people know who we got okay so I'm going to start because I've started doing that this um, in in season two It's yes. starting with the source material. So right. um, this this piece is actually based on the play Lilium by yes. Ferenc Molnar. 
Um, and Molnar was uh, one of Hungary's most celebrated and controversial playwrights. I love that. <laughs> I love a little controversial. Um, yeah. His primary aim through his writing was to entertain by transforming his personal experiences into literary works of art. Um, he never connected to a literary movement, but he did use naturalism, neo-romanticism, expressionism, and Freudian psychoanalytical concepts in his work. Um, he was known for the devil, Lilium, the swan, the guardsman, uh, the plays, the thing, and he was influenced by the likes of Oscar Wilde, George Bernard Shaw, and Gerhard Hauptmann. So that's a little bit about uh, Molnar. Mm -hmm. um, then, of course, you have Rodgers and Hammerstein. People, yeah. if, if you don't know Rodgers, uh, a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, uh, you have not lived through a festive season uh, mm -hmm. because they wrote Sound of Music, which is on every uh, Christmas time, Christmas. Hanukkah time. Mm -hmm. It's there. It's there for you. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. They also wrote, of course, Oklahoma, which we have already talked about. South mm -hmm. Pacific, The King and I. Um, mm -hmm. uh, what else? Let's see. State Fair. State, state Oh, our State Fair is a great State Fair. Uh, I love yeah, it. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, uh, Rogers also wrote with Lawrence mm -hmm. Hart, uh, Pal Joey. On Your Toes, Babes in Arms, mm -hmm. uh, before teaming up with our wonderful Hammerstein, who also wrote with jo uh, Jerome Kern, um, mm -hmm. did Showboat, that, mm -hmm. that classic. Uh, it's a classic. Uh, it, is a, well, that, it is a classic. So that's it. Now, what's really interesting about this musical is Oklahoma and Carousel basically share a creative team too. Yeah. So Mamoulian, Ruba Mamoulian directed the original Broadway production. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, he directed Wings Over Europe, mm -hmm. um, did a production of Porgy, um, ah. and uh, along with Porgy and Bess. Mm -hmm. And he did Oklahoma Carousel and Lost in the Stars. And then, of there course, you, you have the wondrous Agnes DeMille. Yes, it was the, you know the choreographer extraordinaire at the time, yep. uh, the Fosse before the Fosse. Mm -hmm. the she started it all. Exactly, she did, but she, she was very different, right? I mean, the mm -hmm. mill brought in a, a heavy-handed balletic, yes, sensibility. I mean, these are. Even watching the Kennedy Center version yesterday, I mean, the the, the blow high, blow low sequence was oh, super balletic. I love and it. I don't know if it worked, but I went with it and watched the male athleticism and in in, mm -hmm. in awe. Mm -hmm. So it's it's great, and it you know it. Watching it yesterday, I was like, wow, this is a perfect example of the transition period from opera and operetta into contemporary musical theater. You start to see Absolutely. where the blend starts to happen yeah. and the launching point for the departure. Mm -hmm. What well, we know exactly. Now. 
Yeah, because basically, if you're fall, if we're going on our show timelines we've done so far, we start with Oklahoma, then then yeah. along comes Carousel, then the next one would be West Side Story, would be the next kind of big jump in in the story. But if you watch, even if you watch like Jerome Robbins and what he does, he yeah. still has a very balladic face. Like when you watch the the Jets and the Sharks in that opening <clears throat> prologue with the um. Joie de Terres and, 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 and the pot of berets that they do. It's very balletic. So you can see that him, you see him taking those little steps past Agnes DeMille, where he's now turning the ballet music into more of a naturalized dance, but it's that slow progression. And this is definitely the next evolutionary step within, within, within the musical theater canon, because this is where you see that progression of, okay, they learned this, in Oklahoma, and now they're going to take this with the same team and just move it forward. So, yeah. I, I just love that you used the word pot beret. Thank you. Yes, me I'm and my dance training. Super impressed, Matt Craven. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, okay, yeah. So that's why it. don't we get into production history? Because that's next on the list. Do it. We're already cruising along. I like this. This is this is the joy of doing a sequel music. This show, as we said, is the direct successor of Oklahoma. So the story basically continues right where we, right where we left off in our last Rogers and Hammerstein episode, where Oklahoma is a, a smash hit, and Rogers and Hammerstein have to find their follow-up project, which is always a challenge. Because as any of us know, when we do something really well, the next project always is, how do I match into or surpass that project? Because everybody expects it, everybody expects it of you. Emerson yeah. even wrote, uh, we're such fools, no matter what we do, everybody is bound to say, this is, this is not another Oklahoma. And, that's another, that, and those are their thoughts. They were, they were really worried that they can never match the success they just had with Oklahoma. So... Off they went to go find their source material. The seeds, however, for, for Carousel had been planted while they were working on Oklahoma because during the creation process of Oklahoma on a weekly basis, Rogers and Hammerstein would, uh, met with uh, Teresa Halbert and Lawrence uh, Langer, who were part of the Theater Guild, producers of, of blockbuster musicals, and they would have like kind of weekly gloating lunches together uh, to kind of discuss and go over what projects they were doing. And it was Halbert and Langer who proposed to Roger and Hammerstein that they uh, adapt uh, Molnir's um, Lilium into a musical. Both men were like, heck no. Uh, they, they, weren't, they were connecting with the setting of Budapest, first of all. And then on top of that, they weren't happy with the way the musical ends. They just thought it was, it was a very unhappy ending to a, a story. So they were like, doesn't work for musicals. Uh, and then also, addition, in addition to that, because we're still in the 1940s, so wartime politics were still a thing for them, uh, they also were like, we may have to like uh, change the setting from Budapest to Hungary because of you know, World War II politics, with what's going on in Europe. So it was a whole thing for them. Uh, but, uh, but even at the end of the luncheon, Halbert and Langer were still pushing this project on them, with Halbert even suggesting move the setting to somewhere like a Louisiana in McWilliam, like a Creole, which Roger and Hammerstein thought about over the next few weeks. They were like, okay, maybe that would work. And they were like, no, not going to work. The Creole dialect with, with, with that very specific dialect they thought would sound too corny and make it too difficult to write effective lyrics. They were like, no, not a thing, not a thing. So 
basically, though, they had a breakthrough, though, when Rogers, who owned a Connecticut house, proposed the New England setting. That's really kind of what unlocked the piece for them, because uh, Hammerstein wrote, uh, he, he wrote, I began to see an effective ensemble of sailors, whalers, girls who worked in the mills of the river, uh, clam bakes on nearby islands, an amusement park on the seaboard, things people do in crowds, people who were strong and alive and lusty, people who had always been depicted on stage as thin-lipped Puritans, a libel I'm anxious to refute. Uh, so, and then as for the two leading characters, Julie, uh, with her with courage and her inner strength and outward simplicity, see more uh, indigenous to Maine than Budapest. So Lilium was was chosen as their project, and the, and the and the that was kind of the unlocked aspect of the show. So once they figured out the setting, they were like, okay, we think we actually can do something with this. Uh, the one uh, hurdle they had to get through was getting Molnir to actually approve giving them the rights. Uh, for uh, uh, to do the show because a lot of people had wanted to turn the, the, his play into uh, a, an opera or, or a, even uh, Puccini wanted to do an opera of it and and, yeah. and Monier turned him down. Uh, but the hey, theater, why did he turn Puccini down? He just didn't think that it would be a good fit, so he was like, no. But the theater guild took Molnir to see Oklahoma, and um, Molnir was so impressed uh, with what he saw there that he that he that he thought that with their adaptation of Greenbrier the Lilacs, they thought they could do something uh, special with his piece. So the theater guild obtained the rights, which uh, for Molnir in October 1943, and thus uh, the and, and the playwright received one percent of the gross and and uh, $2,500 for personal services. I, so love, back then, quite a, I hmm? love the fact that it was 1% of the gross and not yes. the net, because there's no such thing as the net. <laughs> there you go, Theater Guild getting sneaky. I love it. They're they're smart, but yeah, no, like yeah, yeah. So yeah, so once uh, they started the the process of getting the rights, the one thing Raj Hammerstein insisted on having in the contract was what was that Molnir permit them to make changes to the plot, and this was something that uh, Molnir refused at first, but he eventually was coerced into letting them do that. And Hammerstein later stated that if that uh, st the stipulation hadn't been met, then they wouldn't have made Carousel because there was just no way they could adapt it without uh, changing the plot because basically they rewrote the entire ending uh, from William into making Carousel because William has a much darker uh, ending with, with, like, with, with this very gloomy scenes uh, leading up to William's suicide and then it just gets really dark at the end. So they were like, we got to fix this up somehow. We got to do some work on that ending. All right, so they get the rights. They get the rights to change some of the plot to fix the ending. Obviously, one of the first uh, uh, challenges they had to do was uh, establishing through song Lilliam's motive for the robbery, because you got to set that up because that's going to be the catalyst that drives uh, the death of Billy as well as the death of Lilliam. So Rogers remembered that he and Hart had a similar problem in Pal Joey where Rogers and Hart had overcome the problem with the song that Joey sings to himself called I'm Talking to My Pal. And this inspired Soliloquy, because uh, both partners later told the story that Soliloquy was the only intended to be a song about Lilium's dreams, about uh, uh, dreams of a son, but that Rogers, who had 
two daughters and sisters that Liam consider that he might have a girl, which then opened up a whole new side of the, of, of the song. It starts off with thinking about a boy and then ends up thinking about a girl. It's great. So locally, I'm sure, I'm sure at least one of us has that in our top three. <laughs> yeah. So Maybe all of us have it in our top three. Nope. <laughs> well, who's the outsider in this group? Uh, I know. Uh, we're gonna get. We're gonna find out. I know. Um, I hear, the top of your list is gonna be clam bake. I'm sure. No, I do not like clam bake. We'll, 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 we'll get into clam bake. I do have thoughts on clam bake. Um, but yeah. Okay. So. All right. Uh, so overall, Hammerstein throughout the whole process was very uneasy as he worked through writing this show because he was continually afraid that Mulnier would disapprove of the results. And on top of that, unlike in Oklahoma, where Green Girl Deluxe was, was a relatively unknown play, William is a, was a well-established play already. So they were going into source material that already had a background where Green Girl Deluxe is kind of a forgotten Broadway play, so they had a lot more liberties with what they were doing. This this one, Heimerstein was feeling more of the pressure, and he and he always struggled with, with making a seemingly unlikable, dismissive carnival barker as the central character. The odds that was something he continually struggled with throughout the whole process was how to get Billy to work, and instead of opting to try and make Billy likable, he instead turned his focus to making the audience sympathize with the lovers. So the pair of Julie and Billy together is where he unlocked the connect is where he unlocked the show for himself because he just went, I can't make this guy who who attempts robbery, commits suicide, beats his wife into a likable person. So what I'm gonna do instead is I'm gonna build the love between Julie and Billy to make this work in the show. And it does, it does, because 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 they're trying to make him over likable and trying to vanilla him. Instead they turned it into this great tragic love between Julie and Billy. So that so that's how he built figured that out. And then he also took his learnings from doing Ado Annie and Will Parker and he used that experience to help him write the secondary couple, which was Enochsville and Carrie Pipperidge, who were kind of minor characters in Lilium. But he brought them up using that kind of classic double couple parallel. Uh, situation. Stein decided to build up Enoch and Carrie, making them the secondary couple. Uh, and then the way they decided to uh, fix the ending was to create the graduation scene. And that was kind of the way they were like, okay, this is how we can make, uh, just kind of fix this darker ending of the Molnir side. We're going to make it into a bit more of an uplifting ending with the graduation scene and that ending of hope is basically what they went for. Uh, when it came to the songs, this was a real nice clam bake. It was actually a repurposed song called A Real Nice Hay Ride from Oklahoma, which I would love to hear what that song actually was in Oklahoma because I got it in Hollywood a bit better. I know. I like the clam bake. It's not in my uh, top. But it's it not in my top. It is very New England. It is very nice. And we'll come it, together and we'll have our pick. I don't know why I went Southern. I went into the hay ride. <laughs> You know what I mean? We, we, we were sitting there and we're a fake community, kind of like East mm -hmm. Wick, mm -hmm. where we pretend to like our neighbors and this is what we know yeah. how to do. We know how to get the clams and we know how to bake them. So once the graduation scene was agreed upon as the final scene, the song, You'll Never Walk Alone, basically sprang up naturally. Uh, however, 
it was Rogers who had the greatest difficulty with this song because while Hammerstein was able to like pop the lyrics out like that, Hammer uh, Rogers just couldn't figure out the music because for mm. him, William was a tragedy about a man who cannot learn to live with other people. And the way Monier wrote it, the man ends up hitting his daughter and then having to go back to purgatory, leaving his daughter helpless and hopeless. Uh, and he, he just couldn't accept that. So the way they ended Carousel may still be a tragedy, but it's hopeful. So he had so he, but he kept trying to figure out the music, and that's why this was his most difficult song, was that he just couldn't fully connect to the music until 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 he kind of figured out the story and, and where, where that drive would come from for him to get that musical side of the song. So yeah, right. I, I really now want to read the Molnar play because I I find. It's it's interesting that you say that, that he left it without hope. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it's not for Billy Bigelow to decide Louisa's hope. Mm -hmm. It's Louisa yeah. to decide her own hope. It is yes. her choice. She is still living, so mm -hmm. she can choose. She has a, a choice. Life. Yeah. Right? Exactly. We all have choice. We all have agency. Mm-hmm um as human beings not if you're in hungary in 18 whatever yes yeah. true i, I know <laughs> that's going to change it a bit <laughs> but we still have we still have emotional choices that we can make mm. otherwise we'd be robots right that's true we can you know like in the end of carousel she can choose to go with enoch snow jr Right. Or she can go off on her own and be an actress, right? Like these are the these are the choices. Which one do you think she chooses? In the musical is it ambiguous? No, 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 in Carousel. Because in the end of Carousel, it's left ambiguous whether or not she's gonna where she's gonna go. Because it ends with that you'll never walk alone. Billy walks into purgatory. No, it's no heaven. No, he, he walks to heaven. Heaven. All right, just calm down. Um, I don't know. I I think she probably chooses Enoch because he's safe. But then I yes. think in the middle of her life somewhere, she goes, I want something else. And she decides to leave. Mm, there you go. Autumn, write the sequel, Carousel 2. Absolutely not. <laughs> but thank you for that kind offer. I, I can totally see it. Carousel 2. The carousel's still spinning. Louise Bigelow. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, a life chosen, we'll call it. There you go. I love it. I love it. All right. So the last uh, big thing in the writing process for Raj Anderson was choosing to forego the classical overture because mm -hmm. they felt it just didn't fit with the show. Like they just didn't think this big brassy overture like they had with Oklahoma was going to work with this kind of darker story. So instead, they opted to do a pantomime opening scene set to music, which created the carousel waltz. Yes. Which is a very iconic opening. And what it actually does is it takes the place of not only the overture, but the opening song. So it yeah. basically takes up the whole idea of, oh, what a beautiful morning, and just plunks it right out. So the audience is then just thrust right into the story, right into the middle of this situation. And there's really no nice ease into the waters here. It's kind of like you're pushed right off the diving board into this, into this story. So, yeah, I, I love it. I love that idea because it it challenged the audience in a new way. 
It was like, oh, exactly. we're confronted. We're in something. There's something mm -hmm. happening. Yes. And I think that's so exciting. And I, yeah, I, I, you know me, I love a good instrumental dance break. Indeed. So, uh, and, and I mean, you can see that they took this opening idea and then just applied it to a lot of other shows like, like South Pacific. It has an overture, but then it jumps right into the middle of the story of, um, what's, what's their names? Nellie. Yeah, Nelly, Nelly, yeah, 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 Nelly and Amelia, or, or even in Sound of Music, where you just jump right into the situation of Maria on the Hill, where they kind of just went, oh, this isn't really great for us to do our shows, where we just kind of jump right into the middle of the story instead of doing this setup-y origin beginning that kind of lags the start. So yeah, so yeah, you can see they took lessons along the way, and they, this opening worked. Well, it's and the audiences training, were stunned right? by it, yeah. Overtures mm -hmm. are ear training for the audience. Exactly. These are, these are the themes, the musical themes we want you to listen for. These are important. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if there's mm -hmm. something else there, yeah. it doesn't matter. You don't need yeah. to listen to that, right? Mm -hmm. It's exactly. like, here's, here's, here's the motif. Yes. Oh. Learn it. Learn it well. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. cool. okay. All right. Down, continuing down the storyline here. So rehearsals began in January of 1945. Uh, and during the rehearsal process, Molnir came in to see what they were doing, and that petrified Rogers and Hammerstein the whole day because they couldn't talk to him until the end of the day. So they were sweating bullets, and when they came to him at the end, they were expecting him to be furious about the changes they had made and the different adaptations they'd done in the ending. And instead, he was happy. He commended the, them for creating a better ending than what he originally conceived of. Hmm. And and he and the, uh, after that point he became a regular fixture of the rehearsal room because he ba they basically had all come together he wasn't scary anymore so he was exactly. allowed exactly exactly <laughs> exactly so here we go so rehearsal processes go well uh and then we have the musical opening for out of town uh, tryouts in new haven connecticut on march 22nd 1945 the first show went uh, started off well with the first act being well received. The second act was not. Uh, the second act finished at 1.30 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> so a very long second act that, that, that required the staff to sit down and have a two-hour conference right after the show. And, and, and the results of the conference were that five scenes, half the ballet, and two songs were cut from the show. Right then and there, DeMille described the conference as not uh, not three minutes had been wasted pleading for something cherished, nor was there an idle joke. We cut and cut and cut and then went to bed. By the time it left New Haven, DeMille's ballet was cut down to 40 minutes. 40? Uh, 40, 40 minutes. 40 minutes. It's like way. 40 minutes. Jesus. Yeah. That's long. Yeah. yeah. It's still very long. Uh, and and yeah, and then the other major concern they had with the second act was the effectiveness of he and she, who Roger and Hamilton later called Mr. or Mrs. God, were basically were, were these two characters that were created, and it's who Billy uh, appeared with after his death. Uh, they were they, they, they were depicted as a New England minister and his wife, and, and their scenes were set in their parlor. Uh, the couple was part of the, the opening sequence, so they kind of were these ethereal figures that were there. 
but it was kind of the, the, the ultimately they were, and she became Mr. and Mrs. God in the parlor in Act Two. And Rogers and Rogers said to Hammerstone, "We've got to get God out of that parlor." Hammerstone inquired, "What, like, what, just like what he should do about these deity characters?" And Rogers said, "I don't care where you put him. Put him on a ladder for all I care. Only get him out of the parlor." And thus Hammerstein put Mr. God, renamed Starkeeper, on top of a ladder. So yeah, so they basically they put God up on a ladder and they cut Mrs. God entirely. And God, they Mrs. also God. right, she was out. They had God she had can't be, be a woman. Come on. Seriously. Would that be an interesting choice to make to make Starkeeper a female character? That could add some new complexities. Tongue in cheek. Right there. I love it. I love it. I think when um, I did it. Uh, the starkeeper was uh, a woman. I can't oh, remember. Was she? Was yeah, interesting. So. Interesting. Interesting. Yes, I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also add, yeah. They also added in a reprise of If I Loved You to the second act as Rogers felt mm-hmm. it needed more music. So thus the reprise was born. Uh, three weeks for the other trials in Boston followed the New Haven run. And the audiences uh, there gave the musical a much warmer reception. And, and, and there was even a shorter ballet uh, that was created for the final two weeks in Boston. But on the final night, DeMille expanded it back to 40 minutes. And it brought the house down, apparently, causing both Rogers and Hammerstein to embrace her and admit that, yes, the ballet needed to be 40 minutes. Are you saying one, four, or four, zero? Four, four zero. Four, zero. Forty. It was 40 minutes? Yeah. Yeah. The original second act ballet was 40 minutes. Like the Louise Bigelow ballet? Yes, correct. Was 40 minutes? Correct, Amundo. I'm so glad when I played Louise, it was only like 14. That <laughs> is insane. Well, they definitely have cut it down since then. Like I just watched the most recent revival, and it is a much more abridged version of the ballet. I would love to see somebody do a 40-minute ballet i mean wouldn't that be an interesting bit of fun to do some to do, do some decent staging there see what they could come up with no um and a ballet so i'm gonna say no to that <laughs> with the ballet now back up to 40 minutes uh they head to new york and the dress rehearsal for the show the day before had gone really badly and the and roger Hammerstein feared the new work would not be well like well received at all it was the, the, like the, literally the day before the one successful last minute change they did was have DeMille choreograph the opening pantomime because originally the movement for the carnival crowd and the pantomime was entrusted to Mamoulian was not working so they basically gave it over to DeMille and said restage the opening waltz and she did like the day before and it worked much better that's not uh, that right right yeah. it's crazy yeah. uh the, the show opened at the Majestic Theater on April 19th, 1945. The original cast included John uh, 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 Ratty as Billy. Ray. Pardon? John Raitt. John Raitt, thank you. As Billy. Bonnie Raitt's father. No way. Oh. Bonnie Raitt's father. There you go. Google that, young people. <laughs> Well, I'll have to. I'll have to. That is amazing. Uh, I love that little tidbit. And they found him when they were doing auditions for Oklahoma because they were looking for replacements. And he came into the room and they were like, oh, he could be our Billy. So that's what they did. So that's him. They also had uh, uh, Jan Clayton as Julie 
Gene Darling as Carrie, Eric uh, Matson as Enoch Snow, and Christine Johnson as Nettie Fowler, and uh, Bambi Lynn as Louise, and Russell Collins as Starkeeper. So there we go. That was the cast. Rogers actually injured his back the previous week before opening and had to watch the opening night show from a stretcher propped up in the box behind the curtain. <laughs> and he was sedated with morphine and he could only see part of the stage. And he couldn't hear the audience, audience's reactions. So he sat throughout the whole show thinking it was an absolute failure. And it wasn't until afterwards, uh, when, when his friends congratulated him, that he realized uh, throughout the evening that um, there be, the audience had been widely uh, approving of the show. So basically, he had to sit for almost like three hours dreading the show on morphine. So there you go. The musical received great reviews. Like it was, it, it, it was a hit. The reviewers were taken by surprise by this exuberant follow-up to Oklahoma. That's what kind of took them off guard. The only hitch for this whole great thing is that in 1945, the Tony Awards were not around yet. So the original production did not get any Tony Awards. Instead, we had what was called the Donaldson Awards. And that was the, the, the predecessors of, of, of the Tonys and in the Donaldson Awards, it won seven of them. It was nominated for seven, it won seven, including Best Play of 1944 and 1945, Best Direction of a Musical, uh, Best Books and Lyrics, and Best Choreography, among other things. It went for set and costumes and things like that, too. But those are the big ones they won for. The original production ran 890 performances, so back in 1940s, that was pretty damn good. Uh, it closed on May 24th, 1947. The closing on Broadway then prompted a national tour, which ran for two years and played to nearly two million people. The touring company then returned for a Florida run at the New York City Center in January of 1949. Everybody thought it was going to head back to the Majestic uh, to fill the theater before South Pacific came in early April of that year. However, low ticket sales uh, um, were, were the reason why it closed early. So Carousel has since been revived on Broadway in 1954. 1957, 1965, then there was a long dry spell where it came back in 1994 with Audra McDonald winning her a Tony Award as Carrie. And then it was, uh, yeah, she played Carrie and she won a Tony for it. And then, and, and then was most recently revived in 2018. So you can see this, this show is one of those shows, unlike in Oklahoma, where it comes back continually. This is one that kind of just crops up throughout the history. People are like, oh, yeah, we got to do a carousel again. We haven't done that in a while. Like so. King and I. They're comparable in a way. I think King and I is on a little bit more frequently than, than Carousel. Mm -hmm. In 1956, it was adapted for film starring Gordon McCree and Shirley Jones, mm -hmm. who had just starred in the film version of Oklahoma, and that came out a few months before Carousel on film. So there's a lot of um, comparisons when people look at the two movies to each other. Uh, the movie itself stayed fairly close to the original musical, although the prologue uh, and set in the Starkeeper's Heaven uh, it, it, it was, was added. So there was a few things that were kind of added in to kind of fill out the story overall. So, yeah. Uh, the film was released. Pardon? Because we need, we need to have the fil story filled out for us. 
right? Well, especially with that Star Keeper, like they they, they kind they kind of did a it's a wonderful life opening, or it's that stars at the beginning talking before you get into the rest of the story. So same type of concept there. Uh, it, the movie did receive good reviews, and the soundtrack was a big best-selling hit. Like that was a huge hit for them. Uh, there was an abridged 100-minute network television version in 1967, and that starred Robert Goulet. And then, most recently, the New York Philharmonic presented a stage concert version, in, and, and, and that was and that ran from February 28th to March 2nd of 2013 at Avery Fisher Hall. It was filmed and televised. It had Kelly O'Hara as Julie, Nathan Gunn as Billy. Stephanie Blythe as Nettie, Jesse Mueller as Carrie, as she would go on to play Julie in the most recent revival in 2018, and then also Jason Delaney as Enoch Snow. Lynn, why don't you start us off? What were your first experiences with Carousel? Um, I can't really remember any time before the one at Stratford. Okay. That's the only time I've actually ever seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember if I had seen it maybe at the O'Keefe or something. I can't remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at Stratford, you know, you do your, you do your research and you, yeah. you listen to it, et cetera. And you're mm-hmm. thinking, oh my God, wife abuse, uh, misogyny, uh, mm-hmm. uh, this kind, you know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, redemption, uh, forgiveness. It's a holy, mm-hmm. holy. Mm-hmm. So my experience has not been as, as, uh, extensive as, as you two, but. Mine is not extensive either. My, yeah. Mine is very limited. Huh. This is not, this is not, this is not one of the shows I have a whole big backstory for. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Uh, well, for me, I came to this, I really don't know when, to be honest. This is another one where I, oh, where I like, where I like Autumn. I feel I've known songs from it pretty much my whole life. Like, I, I, I got a feeling you'll never walk alone was the first. Yeah. I learned. I remember for some reason mowing the lawn and listening to Judas busting out all over. Right. That seems to be a, a song that I would be listening to uh, on my, uh, uh, as, I, as I'm pushing a lawnmower. I remember that. Mackenzie Horner, <laughs> why are the hilarity? I was I was listening to June is busting out all over whilst mowing my lawn. Mowing the lawn. Only that statement could come out of your mouth. Well, what do you listen to while you mow the lawn? You got to put on something That's to kind of give you a good beat to, to 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 push a lawnmower. You're hilarious. Hilarious. But overall, I can't remember how I first came to this. I remember watching the 2013 concert version on on television, yeah. on Channel 27 on cable. So, Autumn, you alluded to your history with this, but like, why don't you give us a proper historical account of your experience with this show? I mean, I I'm sure I watched this movie when I was a child. Uh, my my aunt Marilyn. Um, bless her soul, uh, I would go over to her house and she would babysit me sometimes when my mom wasn't available, which was hardly ever, but I would value the time with her. Mm-hmm. She would throw on old movie musicals. And I, as a child, I wanted to tear my hair out. I mean, we had all 
the Nelson Eddy, Jeanette McDonnelling Maytime. Wow. My Atlanta. But I'm sure this came up in our in our playlist. Of course. Um, and as a child, I, I probably just didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when I was 13, mm-hmm. I played Louise Bigelow. So Ooh. I know. I know. And you I have to do the ballet. I have pictures of this one. Autumn, you need to send me those pictures so we can I post them up on the socials. Do it doesn't look anything like me now, but I do have pictures. I I will send them to you. Yes, please. Um, and I fell in love with it. I love this. I love the musical. I love dancing in the show. Mm-hmm. I also um, played a dancing bear for the Carousel Waltz. Oh, there you go. There you I go. can see that you can put on a little bear suit. I did. That seems to be a thing. Put on a bear suit. I mean, I mean, if I remember correctly, even the Stratford production most recently had a dancing bear in the opening that I remember people talking about. It calls for a bear. So I was the dancing bear. I also had the illustrious honor of playing the crocodile in Peter Pan. Oh. Ah. I, I played in my, as an actor, in my days as an actor, I played a lot of men and and animals and and inanimate objects like a scarecrow. A true B. Arthur. I, I, B. Arthur had had that same experience. I played the male water rat in Wind in the Willows. I played the scarecrow. I played the Mad Hatter, crocodiles, <laughs> bears. Oh my! Oh, I love it, Adam. I so, love it. So that that was like that was my first. That is, I think that's the only version other than the movie I had seen until I watched the Kennedy Center version. Yeah. It's an investment. You have to invest mm-hmm. time. You do. It's like, it's like watching a fiddler on the roof. Like, it's a thing of like, if you're going to watch a fiddler, that's three hours. So there's no stopping the train once you're started because you don't want to lose that momentum. Because this is one of those stories that you need to watch from beginning to end to get that full momentum. Because the minute you leave, you lose that driving force that is the yeah, show. Yeah, you miss the threat. There are, there are a lot of, like, different subplots and stuff. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. I okay. Love, I love doing it. Mm-hmm. I love, love it. it. Yeah. Love it. Okay, all right. Now we're into the top three songs. So, Lynn, why don't you give us your first song on your list? What is it? What is number um, one? I love uh, the introduction. Oh, okay, the Carousel Waltz. The Carousel Waltz. that introduction it does Mm -hmm. absolutely everything and it keeps people you know people are uh not filing in and Mm -hmm. ignoring the the overture which they Mm -hmm. think they should talk over which no they get them in their seats it sets Mm -hmm. everything up it sets the relationship up they see each other billy and and julie see each other they Mm -hmm. fall in love they're get rid of all of they made that that's it they've handled everything i love that um Mm -hmm. do you want the other two not yet 
not yet. Save your other two. But I saw Autumn react, so that must mean that it, that is also on her list as well. It's not on mine, but I do love it. The music I is gorgeous. This, this list is a little longer for me. I want the you, hmm. Autumn. I know, I know, but there there are things for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'll try to pair them up. So okay. this one and the ballet in Act Two. They're very similar. These big, beautiful dance numbers mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Agnes de Mille was able to do. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know who choreographed the, the recent version at the Kennedy Center, but my Lanta. They, they won for best choreography that year. Yes. And you watch that Tony Ward performance of Blow High, Blow Low, and it's incredible what, 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 the, what those dancers are doing. It is. It's, uh, it's really... Great, it's great mm-hmm. choreography. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I those two, and I do like the idea that you just enter into the world, mm-hmm. yes, you're thrown into this experience, mm-hmm. whether you mm-hmm. like it or not, you're there, yeah, and it sets it up. Although, weird, weirdly, the, the Kennedy Center version mm-hmm. started in that heaven place. Well, it's kind of tying back to the movie, right? It's, t- it's taking that same like opening of the movie. It started, and I'm like, what is this? What is this? What is this? Where am I right now? I felt, and I usually don't I care about those questions, but I'm like, why mm. are you Why are you showing me the ending? Mm. I, I felt like they dumbified it for me. And I'm like, mm. you don't need to do that for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Take me take me on the journey with the story mm-hmm. and I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I agree, Lynn. Like it is and it's beautiful. Like Rogers wrote great music that reflects both the carousel and also this the ever spinning accelerating relationship of Julie and Billy. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it has like his musicality and his mm-hmm. lyricism in his lines in this. Mm-hmm. I think this is his best work. Hmm. I agree. Okay. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like out of all his scores, I do think this one stands out above like, and beyond. It, it's it shows his technique as a composer. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. It really is, and it has a nice uh, partner to it with the ballet in Act Two. Mm-hmm. That once again is very similar musically, where it's that same mm-hmm. spinning carousel of the world that Billy has to watch and watch his daughter go through without him. It's a that cycle of life. Of, Exactly. That's it, Autumn, right there. You hit the nail on the head. My number one, though, is June is busting it all over.
I am so shocked that you chose a big, boisterous group number. <laughs> I'm gonna start guessing yours. Is what I'm gonna say. All right, go for go for some guessing. Did that make any of your other lists? Yeah. Oh. Like, did it make your bottom three or any list at all? No. Nope. Perfect. So it's just me. Okay. Well, I mean, like this song should be blasted from the rooftops every June, especially in Canada, because this is like the song to, for everybody to sing. It is gorgeous. And it's just the perfect timing in the show, too, because you've had the opening waltz, which is a little bit slower legato. Then you have that 20-minute bench scene, which, while gorgeous, it's like, okay, people, like, speed it up a little bit here. And then it's like, this song is like a, the burst of a, 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 a beautiful weather that comes in. It just picks everything up. It's that rising tide that then just moves that moves the story along that, so much faster. It's like an at, it's like an at the end of the at, at the end of the day, lovely ladies and lame is where it's those slow, 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 fast, 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 fast. You, you got to pick the audience up and move them ahead. I love and that's what this compared mm-hmm. lovely ladies to June is busting out all over. Well, they match. They they match each other. It's they're both that same quick expositionary move the plot along song, and it they work at that. And also, this is the great entrance of Nettie Fowler to the story. And you need to endear her to the audience with that song because if you don't, then you don't earn her big moment of "We'll Never Walk Alone." So that's what this song does: is it totally invests you in Nettie Fowler right away because you're like, "Oh, it's like my favorite aunt coming on stage and singing to me. It's beautiful." She is the next step from from Aunt Eller in, in, in Oklahoma. She is she 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 is that one step forward they're making. That ultimately ends up with the, with with their pinnacle of supporting actresses with the mother Abbas and sound of music, which we will get to. But it's that continual step. But this is the next necessary step in the wheel for them. And unlike Consider Yourself, which becomes a hokey ensemble number, this number actually works as a community ensemble piece because yeah. it totally it it absolutely earns that right of having everybody sing on stage. It yeah. warrants everybody having this communal moment together. Absolutely. And it's summertime. The carnival's here. It, it's great. Exactly. Exactly. And, and my last big note is this clearly is a tie in the history line of musicals to The Farmer and the Cowman from Oklahoma. The farmer and the cowman should be friends. Oh, the farmer and the cowman should be friends. Oh, one man likes to push a plow, the other likes to chase a cow, but that's no reason why they can't be friends. Territory folks should stick together, territory folks should all be pals. Cowboys dance with the farmer's daughters, farmers dance with the ranchers' gals. We are very similar to each other, where they're both this communal big song and dance group number. Just you one of them wanted to say to farmer and cowman again. I did. I we didn't talk about it enough in Oklahoma. Lynn, it's his favorite song, The Farmer and the Cowman. Oh, seriously. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Ah, that number. All right. Any thoughts on, Jun- uh, on Judas Busting It Over from YouTube? Lynn, how about you? Not Where- even on any of my lists. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Mean, it's okay. So, you know, it's fine. Yeah. But no, nothing spectacular. Not on the either. No. It's middle ground for you. Fair enough. Yeah. Autumn, how about you? I like it. Oh, it's coming by gum. You can feel it come. It's great. It's great. I, I, yeah. It is not in my top three, but it would be in my top. I don't know. Twenty-five. I have. There's, there's not that many songs in this show. I know there are only fourteen. I know. Uh, I no, I like it. I, I like it because it, it does. It's, it is upbeat, and it is, it is a rejuvenation of spirit, which mm-hmm. you kind of need in this show. Like the show is, yeah, it, like. It's absolutely um, playing the opposites, and I appreciate yeah. that they mm-hmm. did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, time. absolutely. Okay, Autumn, what's your number two? Well, it is a pairing. I what is the pairing? Soliloquy. I've got to get ready before she comes. I've got to make certain that she won't be dragged up in slums with a lot of bums like me. She's gotta be sheltered and fed and dressed in the best that money can buy. I never knew how to get money, but I'll try, my God, I'll try. I'll go out and make it, or steal it, or take it. What's the use of wondering? What's the use of wondering if he's good or if he's bad? He's your fella and you love him. That's all there is to that. Common sense may tell you that the ending will be sad. Time to break and run away. But what's the use of wondering if the ending will be sad? He's your fella and you love him. Oh, what's the use of wondering? Me, my other list. And I do not like that song. Because it's Julie Jordan's soliloquy. Mm. Okay, fair enough. It has to be done properly, though. Sometimes yeah, I've never seen it done properly. Yes, it can't be done that way. It's her actually contemplating: Should I? Is this the right move? Like it's her mm. inner thoughts working. That's the way I look at it. And to me, it's 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 her inner struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just a pretty song and soliloquy because it is an excavation. Oh, soliloquy's so good. It is. Let me make my list. Um, I just I and I I love when he stops and goes, "Oh my God, what if it's a girl?" <laughs> and, it's a great moment. But just about like, it's kind of amazing having having kids and watching their relationships with different people. How we. Um, how we treat them based on their gender 
Mm. And he says, you know, you can have fun with a son, but you have to be a father to a girl. Well, you have to be a father to a son too. I hate to break it. You should be. (laughs) But this mind, this masculine mindset and watching him work through that and grapple with it and the ugliness of that, I think it's it's one of the best solo pieces in the musical theater canon. Yeah, mm, I agree. I agree. It, it, it is one, one of the top male baritone songs any baritone can sing. It's so gorgeous. I think it's it so goes gorgeous. beyond that, though. I think it is one of the top solo songs in the whole musical theater repertoire. Mm. I agree. I have to agree on that. Like it's like it's eight minutes. I'm and um, what's his name? Who originally played Billy Bigelow? Uh, um, uh, John Ray. Yeah. Yes, him. Yeah. Like I, I, like even reading his ref, like notes in rehearsal, he goes, "When I first came in, they gave me an eight, eight sheet, like songbook basically of this song, and 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 he was petrified of it. Like he just didn't know how they were going to tackle this. Because you're right, it's eight minutes. Like it's a long song." And directorially, it's, it's a challenge. Like, how do you make that interesting on stage without parking and parking, planting, and having them sing? Yeah, it is the it is the musical theater equivalent of to be or not to be. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Uh, I think it is the greatest gift an actor could be given. I think, mm-hmm. like, just you, and it's it is a text driven song. It is not a a music driven song it's all about the text Mm -hmm. which is something that that we sometimes don't focus on Mm -hmm. as much in musicals especially older musicals Mm -hmm. you know we get this "Mm, it's a pretty pretty song like what's the use of wondering what is Mm -hmm. it saying what is the debate within it Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i think that's i you know i think hammerstein wrote two great pieces well I mean, historically speaking, we're gonna as we tie back with our song time. He Hammerstein was his mentor, so you can see that soliloquy line into what song time writes later, where it's that same continual idea of the lyrics being stronger than the music, and that and that's what song time's known for. Song time is known for his lyrical depth he gives to these characters, and you can see that he learned that from Hammerstein, who was writing that. All the way back in, ni- in the 1940s with Carousel. Yeah, and it, it's the difference. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. You have Hammerstein, who did not write his own music. Yes. And then you have Sondheim, who does write his own music. It's- Lynn, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on Soliloquy? Because I, 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 I know you said it's on your list. It's, uh, I, I put it number three as my, okay. as my you know, it says everything. It's, it shows a hopeful character a character's Mm -hmm. got hope for the first time in his life he's got something to live for he's going to have this son he's going to be fantastic it's going to be wonderful they'll play together it'll be fun and then he realizes oh my god he changes his mind he comes to another realization i could have a girl it could be a girl and this will be different than this well i've got a protector and i've got a i'm sure that adam lazarus would have an awful lot of things to say about his attitudes towards the girl here in mm-hmm. soliloquy. Um, but I thought as 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 Autumn said, 
this is it's a, a it's a one person play that uh -huh. could be done anywhere it's you know it's huge it's wonderful uh -huh. yeah okay so the one thing i will i do because west of the use of wonder did make my other list so i don't like this song and I think the reason why is because the song feels like, so unlike Oliver, where as long as he needs me, he's more about Nancy and herself. This one feels more like it's a just, Dewey trying to justify Billy. And that's where I go. This is where we get into that over the line in the wrong direction with the abusive stuff we get into where Nancy, yes, she's being hit, but her whole song is about her. It's about her and her struggle in the situation and convincing herself what's the use is more of well i mean what's the use of wonder about this guy i mean i love him it's 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 not it's not about julie it's more about billy and justifying his actions and that's where i go i don't like this song because this is one of the areas where the song creates those problems that people just can't seem to get over that hurdle in this show it's, it's 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 one of the big hurdle moments where, where as an, as an audience and as a director and as an actor, how do you do this song now? It just doesn't work anymore. It, it it's not it's not as like soliloquy works as a song. This one just yes yeah yes like most of wondering is a soliloquy, but it's not a soliloquy we need. It's it's a data soliloquy that just doesn't work anymore. There's a better way to go about this moment. I disagree wholeheartedly. <laughs> I, I think that when you're in the cycle of abuse, these are the things you think and mm -hmm. you excuse the behavior and you not only excuse it to the world, but you excuse it to yourself mm -hmm. because you are in a perpetual state of hope trying to figure out whether that person will change for you. Mm -hmm. And so she's trying to shut down her wondering. You know, mm -hmm. what's the use of wondering if he's good or if he's bad or if, he, you know, if, if he likes the way you wear your hat, you know, he's mm -hmm. your feller and you love him, mm -hmm. right? That's all there is to that. Right. There has to be that insertion of the right for the person performing it. I don't think the problem is, is with the song. I think mm -hmm. it's the way it's been interpreted over the years. I mm -hmm. think it's actually very, I think it's very smart. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's it's uh, what really struck me yesterday is you know julie comes upon billy's dead body and carries yes. her arm around her and basically says oh this is for the best yeah it's totally negates julie's love for him her experience mm -hmm. it lacks serious empathy and it just shows how base that character is that <laughs> drives me nuts like i'm like uh, yeah and that's why well, Kara's the voice of the community in that moment that, like, that's what Kara is she's the voice of the entire community that they live in in that moment she's voicing what they're all thinking as they stand around watching him die it's like oh okay why is she your best friend like that oh well, she seems that nice relationship to me is is more problematic than her relationship with Billy the <laughs> one with Billy I get I get innately but why you have people in your life that look at, if you want to take care of someone in that situation, that is not the way to do it. We yeah. all find people in our lives that we, that are problematic and are questionable, don't we? Yes. Yeah. We do. We do. You're absolutely right. We do. And I, you know, I keep, 
I always ask myself the question, why is this person here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what, what is this relationship serving? What is the purpose uh, that this is serving in my life? Yeah. It took me a long time to get to that point of asking myself, myself that question. But I think, you know, I'm at, I'm at the point now where I, I'm very, I try to be very discerning with the people that I invite in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, like, I just think that communal shunning of Julie should not come from her best friend. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've that, that, that really cheapens their relationship. Mm-hmm. And I understand that she is uh, worried for Julie, but I think, I don't know, it, it's just very surface for me. And yeah. Carrie and Enoch um, are surface, like they're all about appearances. And I think that's why I don't find them endearing as characters. Like, yeah. But they are truthful in the context of everything they do. You know, they're truthful. We might not like them, but they are truthful. You know, this is for the best because he was problematic. He was difficult. He's everything that Enoch is not. Mm-hmm. I will go along with everything that my man says that we'll have children and we'll have this and you will do this and you will make food. And other, and she goes along with it because it's 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 um, some kind of uh, uh, um, an idea of this is how things are done. Whereas Julie and Billy are this combative, this couple who should not be together, but they are because they fell in love. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. I do too. Yeah. And what, they, they what? play opposites each other. Like one is mm-hmm. the, you know, it's also a, a comment on society. Like what mm-hmm. is acceptable? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is acceptable behavior? And the thing that just terrifies me about the narrative is that Enoch and Carrie are accepted because they have money. Mm. And the other two are not accepted because they don't. Yeah. And I think- Well, I mean, Enoch doesn't come from money. He makes his money. Like, I, I, he he builds his business from the ground up with his no. one little boat that he grows into a fleet. Like, I, I, he, doesn't, he doesn't come in as the millionaire. He, come, like, he starts out at the same place as Billy as a working man on the docks. But unlike Billy, who can't seem to get his life together, mm-hmm. um, Enoch does the right things. I know, but there's a privilege, Mac, that goes with that. Like, there must have been some support from his family. There's Billy is alone. Like, he is alone, and we can't judge him on that. Do you, but, do you see any, but do you look at Enoch, and do you see anybody around there? It, it could be somebody who just didn't, take did not uh, did not uh, uh, put himself down and say I don't know how to do anything other than the barker and if mm-hmm. uh, in a carousel and if somebody takes that away I don't know how to do anything so I'll have to rob a bank these are choices mm-hmm. that somebody makes mm-hmm. and Enoch decide I'm going to be a fisherman I'm going to do this I'm going to work very very hard I have luck whatever so you can look at these two guys yeah. who, who are who are solitary and they mm-hmm. picked a different way of living their lives and one yeah. got money and the other didn't. Yeah. yeah. That comes from hard work. Enoch, Enoch uh, uh, that's why he gets so angry at Carrie when she starts flirting with Jigger at the clam bake is because his whole thing is 
I have a dream. You're part of my dream. I'm working towards this successful goal. And, and I mean, I can't remember in the script if they say anything about his family giving him his first little boat or if he earned that himself. But it's a whole thing of, sure, maybe his dad gave him the money to get his own first little boat, but that was it. Everything else throughout the rest of the show is him working toward this ultimate dream he has of having a family and a thriving business. And that's what I like about Enoch. Enoch is this he person is, who... He's very, he's very thrifty. He's very uh, hard. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying he has a community supporting him. He has people around him that know him and have helped him build himself up. And mm -hmm. Billy is a wanderer. He okay. works in a carnival. And that, you know, like think about carnivals at that time. Uh, it was a, a place where people went to wander. They, they couldn't settle. There was something, it is him being part of that is him, uh, a metaphor for his uh, discomfort in his own skin, mm -hmm. right? And I think, you know, I think of other um, plays in that, that, that focus on carnivals and, and freak shows and things like that. And I think of uh, Venus and I think, you know, it, it's people who want to make something of themselves, but they haven't been privileged enough, not so much with money, but with people around them to support them. And that is what Enoch has that Billy does not. But Billy does get that. He, the, when he gets with care or Julie, Julie is supportive of him. Nettie takes both of them in and yet he still does not get a job and he still becomes abusive. But it's ingrained. The cycle, his, his patterning, his life patterning. And I'm not making excuses. I'm not making excuses. I'm trying to look at the empathy. Mm -hmm. Like I, uh, and I'll tell you why I look at him with empathy. And it's because of my time with Jack Charles. Mm. And Lynn, did you ever see Jack Charles at Canadian stage when he came? No. As part of uh, Spotlight Australia. Uh, uh, tell, uh, give me more details, please. He's, uh, an indigenous artist. Him. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh. oh my God. Yes. Talk about someone that was unsettled in his identity. God. Heroin addict, uh, cat burglar, in and out of prison 20 times. Literally the single most remarkable human being I have ever had the pleasure of being with. And now he uses his time to go in to prisons and talk to other people about finding themselves. Um, that is Billy Bigelow. Billy Bigelow just wasn't, didn't have the time to find himself. And isn't it, I just feel, and I know, I know he was abusive, but there is, there is empathy to be found in these people who are so lost that they cannot change. And mm -hmm. what was remarkable about Jack Charles was that he did change and it took a long time took a long time but there he is singing his songs and telling his stories and going into prisons and trying to have his whole past exonerated so he can continue this work mm -hmm. and now he's reading storybooks to children online i love it and you know it's it's one of those like it's just you've got to find a way to self-accept so 
Billy is lost. He is a lost soul. He is forever in purgatory. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably what Molnar was trying to, to say in Lillian, is that mm -hmm. this man is perpetually in purgatory, literally and figuratively. And mm -hmm. that takes great power for people to change. Mm -hmm. it, takes, it, it, it is the hardest thing we can do as human beings is to change. Mm -hmm. Very true. So I think, uh, and I, I do, I like Enoch's tenacity and his, mm -hmm. I'm, I just, I don't, that's not an interesting story. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, <laughs> like his, his, like he's constant. He's safe. Mm -hmm. So safe. And what's wrong with that, Autumn? There it's is boring. nothing. There is nothing wrong with that. It's boring. But it doesn't drive a story. For a good story to work, you need conflict. That's right. You need mm. struggle. And I said this on Facebook. Would we have art if we did not have struggle? And people were like, oh, yeah, of course we would. And I'm like, no, we wouldn't. We would it's not. Boring art. So very true, Autumn. We definitely need conflict to make art. And I think we can now move on to my second choice, which is Go ahead. Blow High, Blow Low. A rocket upon the sea, your boat will seem to be like a dear little baby in her bassinet. For she hasn't learned to walk, and she hasn't learned to talk, and a little behind is kind of inclined to be wet. Is this your no, no list? No, this is my yes list. Oh, I adore this song. No, it's on my no, no list. Go away, go away. Blow high, blow low, blow off. Don't bother me. <laughs> well, we'll get to your notes momentarily. But I'll do mine first. Go ahead. We'll do the positive, then the negative. Yeah, I. it captures that East Coast sailor mentality. They wrote a great song that truly captures the setting and the world as well as musically it captures that perfect rolling of the waves in the boat like when you listen to it it's like you can really feel that lurching nature of being out on sea being a whaler and it's wonderful and you want and it's one of those really neat all-male solo song and dance moments in the show where you don't get them a lot like normally it's either a big ensemble piece like a kansas city where it's everybody and his uncle welcoming will parker back they all do the ragtime dance like uh, or, or like you don't get a big male choral dance and song moment and that's what i like about this like i i didn't like this song until i watched the tony awards and saw them perform this song for the revival and watching those men dance like even my mom who came down to hear what the heck these sailors were singing about and she watched and went, holy crap, like, this is amazing. And you watch this moment in the show where it's all these men just going at it full tilt. Can you, can, you, uh, can you cut the grass to that song? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I could. Actually, I think, I'm pretty sure that, I'm pretty sure this was another one right on my list of songs I could, I could listen to. Because it's just, 
you feel it and it makes you want to go out on the open water and get that salty sea air in your face it's just it's just a good working man's song it's it's just oh like it's, it's a guttural song and i listen to it and i just get it right in my gut there's just something about it that just captures it and it, once again it's that step forward from kansas city it's that same type of idea of describe a situation describe a setting and kansas city is the beginning of this and then below high below is that next evolutionary step in the process for roger Hammerstein. started i totally prefer this over kansas city any day because oh i love it i just love low high low low and like beautiful lyrics by Hammerstein as well like that what how do you describe it? that crimson spurt coming out of a whale like just that beautiful literary descriptions you get and it's like now i'm gonna read it again the people who live in land are hard to understand when you're looking for fun they'll clap you into jail so mm -hmm. i'm shipping off to sea where life is gay and free and a fella can flip a hook in the hip of a whale. No, thanks. <laughs> this is your bad yep. song. This and is that's the community. Song. That is the community that is supporting Enoch and thinks Billy is not a nice man. But Billy is part of the song because Jigger's in the song. And, there, and and you can see Billy, and Jigger even says, come on out to see. Like, well, I, I, you're going to have to be accepted out here with us. And he says no. He doesn't. He, yeah, he doesn't go. Which once again, it's like, damn it, Billy! You just got to give another opportunity to fix your life around. No, and be I, a fisherman and a sailor. Us telling him how to fix himself, and he's not prepared. He's not going to make the effort, and that's fair enough as well. Sometimes you don't want to fix yourself now and you still get to heaven and uh you know he was welcome into heaven he wasn't welcome into purgatory again because we'll be yeah, i don't know if he should have gone to heaven maybe, maybe not maybe, but... who are we to judge who are we to judge exactly it's, it's true who are we to judge who are we to judge on this front then why is blow high blow low on your other list yes why is a blow high blow low blow blow off as you said i just Which i just blows. find it uh, a rousing song for no <coughs> reason it sets up the whole business of the sailors etc but it it opens up a world that's on uh, you know it's enoch's world but and it's a world of of rousing men it goes off in a different tangent it's uh it's a, a um a sucker it's a sucker dance piece that gets the audience thinking, you know, rousing, etc. I just, uh, 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 I don't understand what its purpose is. I, I don't think the audience needs it either. And I think after a woman talks about a man hitting her, the last thing that you need is a rousing testosterone-driven <laughs> dance number. Fair enough. Lynn, what's the number two on your list? Of songs. Okay. You haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> Number two for, for yes. Easy way, round in circles. 
too. I love that. Did not make my list, but it is a beautiful love song. I think it's a beautiful love song. They're very tentative, you know. If I loved you, I blah, 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 blah. What they're saying is, I love you, and I love you about this, but they're tentative about it. Mm-hmm. And you just, here's the thing of getting the audience on your side. You want, the audience wants them to just come out and, and declare. They mm-hmm. want them to declare, I love you, rather than mm-hmm. dance around the, they're skirting around the issue. Again, if I loved you, when he sings it, mm-hmm. he's protecting himself from disappointment that mm-hmm. she will not return it. Mm-hmm. And she yeah. she is just trying to protect herself in a way, in a different way than he is. Mm-hmm. And so I love the intricacy of that. I thought it, it spoke beautifully about both of them. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, that that's my third, actually my second of three. Perfect. And you know that soliloquy is the third one. So, yeah. Yes. Perfect. If, yeah. if I loved you, it is my third. Okay. There you go. You two have a very similar list to each other. Well, I, you know, I agree with Lynn. And mm-hmm. this is a Rogers and Hammer Time success. Like, they know how yeah. to write complex relationships you've got people will say we're in love got to say that you thought i loved you and then you get this very complicated uh maria von trapp captain von trapp thing that happens like Mm -hmm. they really get dirty with their relationships yeah their lead relationships Mm -hmm. and i like that i like that they allow questions to come in struggle mm-hmm. to come in like it's not easy and therefore it's interesting mm-hmm. that's very true that's I, I i i it's a beautiful scene like sondheim even praises this 20 minute bench scene that is this if i loved you sequence as as one of his defining moments where in his writing experience this is a moment that he often goes back to and looks back on and goes this is what i have to do because it's so beautiful. Within 20 minutes, you get their whole love story. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of times it takes a whole damn musical to get to get what they get in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's gorgeous. It is. It's a beautiful, soaring thing. And you're right. It, it totally, it, it's Heimerstein, once again, creating that sympathetic investment of the audience in the love story. And, that, and that's exactly what you have to do. Because after this song, it all goes downhill for them really quick. So you got to build this moment right. And yeah, it's beautiful. It is a beautiful moment. So that's, that's your number three, Autumn. Your number two, Lynn. Your number three was soliloquy. My number three is one I'm, well, I'm surprised you both have not brought up, which is you'll never walk alone. number four me too number four there you go like this song transcends the musical entirely the fact that it's sung 
at UK sporting events by entire stadiums of people. Like, and they all know the words. You watch the videos of 2,000 people in a, in a stadium singing this song. It's remarkable. And Roger and Hammerstein have never been able to beat it. Like, like Sondheim said, he went and saw Sound of Music and he wrote, Climb Every Mountain is, is good, but it doesn't hit that same level of you'll never walk away. Why does it have to? Well, people were always thinking you got to continually one-up yourself. But they well, just then tell them to go to hell. They don't have to. In one minute and 52 seconds, they wrote a perfect, wonderful song. I don't have yeah. to top myself. Yeah. Why are you topping yourself? Here is an orange. Do you want something better than that? Come mm -hmm. on. Give me a break. <laughs> a banana. A banana. Yes, a banana. Yeah. Everybody wants you to do better. When you do yeah. better, let me know. Yeah. Like, oh, like this song, like it's I wrote, so simple. I wrote, I wrote uh, you'll never walk alone. What did you do Tuesday? <laughs> Sondheim wrote, uh, um, uh, um, send in the clowns in an hour and a half. Mm hmm because most of the time he was sleeping on the couch. An hour and a half. Yeah. What did you yeah. do Tuesday? Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be our new, our new phrase. This is what, what did I did. Tuesday? What did you do Tuesday? I think. Well, sorry, I didn't write this song. Into a play that is fantastic. Yeah. What did you do Tuesday? <laughs> Adam, start writing. No way. <laughs> the pressure. The pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll pull yeah. a really big low in this moment. Oh no. Huh? Um, yeah, I mean, this song, it's just so simply wonderful. Like yeah. Rogers kept the music simple and it let Hammerstein's lyrics take the lead here. Cause it's the lyrics that sell the song to people who in their darkest moments need to hear the, these words. And when you hear them, you're filled with hope. You walk away from that song going, yeah, like you walk away and yeah. you just feel it, like personally. Like I, I challenge anybody to listen to the song and not come away with a little bit of hope in their heart. Like it's just, it's hope so hard. Yes, I, I know what you're talking about too. And it's, you know, yeah. it's not just Hammerstein though. Mm -hmm. It's it, this song is what it is because it is the perfect blending mm -hmm. of the music with the lyrics i like mm -hmm. i don't know of any other you're right mac this is really mm -hmm. one of the most beautiful songs in the world like for yeah them, you know mm -hmm. it's why it's sung at funerals that had graduations at weddings yes. that mm -hmm. uh, ufc matches at you know yeah soccer game for putty mm -hmm. after putty right yeah it's for a reason, but it, mm -hmm. it is that progression of the music that supports those lyrics. Yeah, um, it is. It is operatic in nature, mm -hmm. and to hear yeah. Renee Fleming sing this, it's so great. I, I was a mess watching this yesterday morning. I could. Just listening to her, 
-hmm. and the depth the 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 sound that she creates that Mm -hmm. that pairs so beautifully with their music Mm -hmm. Uh, uh. so good so good so that's our top three our top four or top whatever number we're at now that we've talked about uh out of the rest of the like so so then we get into the songs we either skip or remove and my my first one was what's the use of wondering which you've already talked about my other one though is this was a real nice clam bake this was a real nice clam bake we're mighty glad we came the riddles we ate were good Yeah, which I, I I don't like this song. Mm. Like like I don't get why they had to include it because basically it's just there to be an opening to Act Two, but it's the worst song they could have ever written for an opening to Act Two out of all their canon. <laughs> it's the worst one. It's the worst one. And like if you've already done away with the overture and the opening number of Act One, why? break that pattern and include an opening number in act two when you can easily start jumping the audience right back into that story with either Nettie's dialogue of let's clean up that was a real good clam bake let's go let's go home or take the music of clam bake and do a pantomime again of the clam bake because I really don't want to freaking hear about you cooking clams and cutting lobsters it's pointless and dumb that's what they did Great! I don't care though. It doesn't fit with the rest of the damn story. It's dumb. It 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 fits in as as well as the high low uh, um blow high blow, uh, uh, blow high blow low because it's talking about the results of the sailors going off to sea. They're coming back with clams and lobsters and yeah, lobsters and true. things and stuff. That's fine. I I agree. I I. That's in my crappy list. I, you know, thought, hey, go away. Take your high yeah. low and take your clam bake and go away. <laughs> See, now, I don't mind clam bake. Well, I like, what? I know. I okay. know. It was nice. It was a real nice clam bake. Okay. Um, and I'll tell you why because it sets up the community. Yeah. And different from blow high blow low which is like an, an extra story thread that just oh all of a sudden we have whalers coming into shore yeah this is oh and they're mm, they're horny and they're you know this sets up that community which alienates billy and i think alienates him it yes he himself alienates himself i, exactly. I know but there is something to that outsider kind of bird's eye view in and this is like this a song that is oh look at we're all it's like eastwick knows and witches of eastwick it sets up the community and the um uh, the the prison of it in a way in in a party song i don't but it's already been set up that way we've like we had junis busting it all over we already have the idea that Billy's the outsider of the community. It's already been set up. Just 
I you mean, know, pantomime the clam bake and have Nelly dialogue or just don't have the song. Like, how is it in that two hour conference they had after the, after that one thirty runtime of Act Two in their first preview? Did this song not get cut? They cut five scenes, two other songs, and have a ballet. But this song survived the chopping block. But Come it, on. it creates specificity to the place. Yeah, and I think I guess I look at I'm not. It's not my favorite song, but I think in terms of, and it doesn't drive the plot forward. Okay, I get it. No, but it really layers in this the the idea of where we are, and what our community is, and who's in that community, and it gives us one more chance to see how the community plays as a character, not the separate people in the community. But the community as a whole. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And that's the communities as a whole can be very terrifying. Mm-hmm. And alienating. And Billy is the outsider. And it, whether it's a choice or not, he's still an outsider. He was not born in that community. Mm-hmm. He's he has to do some work if he wants to stay there, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think it it sets up the us them kind of thing again. And that's part of his downfall. Like he looks at that and he's like, oh, how I'm never going to fit in here. This is not who I am. Mm-hmm. Strengthens his resolve. like that communal. Yeah, but I think you can do that all through pantomime with, with the music only. You don't need the There's actual lyrics. There's a lot of pantomime in this. Like it's almost, and it's not pant, like it's not, it, it's, yeah, it's dance. Like it's ballet and I don't. Sorry, yes. I don't think I don't think we need another dance number in the show. It's dangerously close to becoming a ballet as it is. Mm. Like and Fair it enough. goes into opera buffa, which is part opera. Like it's very it's very much like balancing on that line of being mm-hmm. opera buffa. Um mm-hmm. you know, ballet with opera. Um mm-hmm. and I don't think it, uh, one more dance uh, one more dance number is going to tip it into something into a different genre mm. fair enough fair enough are there any other songs you want to include on your skip list besides blow high blow low and clam bake lynn for you are there any other songs that made that list or is that it for you yeah you're a queer one julie jordan you're a queer one julie jordan you are quieter and deeper than a well you never tell me nothing there's nothing that i care to choose to tell you've been acting most peculiar every morning you're awake ahead of me always sitting by the window i like to watch the river meet the sea oh why did that make your list i just couldn't care less I couldn't yeah. care less. I'm not yeah. in, I mean, I, again, you consider the source and if, you know, Julie is not acting according to the strict guidelines um, of, uh, of the mill workers. Of, yeah. Of, yeah. This is how you have to conduct your life. And this is what you need to, I don't care. You know, I, uh, from her point of view, of course, everything that Julie and everything that Billy does is wrong. 
-hmm. They're unusual. Like you're a queer one, Julie Jordan. Gee, you're odd. You're unusual. Okay, I don't care. <laughs> mm -hmm. Autumn, what are your thoughts? I'm reading. I'm reading the lyrics again because that's usually my base point. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's 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 a, it's a best friend song, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what's mm -hmm. going on with you, girl? Text. It's if I were doing a modern day equivalent, I'd be like, "Where are you at? What's going on with you, girl? You know, like, LOL." Yeah. It yeah. Drive it forward. It's just it kind of solidifies how they're so different. How yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, Carrie wants a nice settle down. Or does she? That's the interesting thing. And I think that would be an interesting take on her. Like her whole thing with Jigger, like there's she she flirts with that. She wants rough. She wants yeah. rough. And she doesn't want well fishy. You know, it's interesting. Well, like, there, I love it. And and I think that if done correctly, you're a queer one, Julie Jordan, is like, I wish I was more A like wanting song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a wanting song for Carrie. It's kind of it's kind of like with Ado Annie and Lori relationship, where they have that back and forth with each other. Just now the roles have been reversed, where Lori, who's kind of the boring one of that pairing, and Ado Annie's the rebellious one, have now been swapped where you have Julie being the more rebellious one and Carrie being kind of the, the simpler, not boring, but simpler, more straightforward one who maybe does, if you can direct it, want to inch her way out into the more darker, dangerous waters than what she's in now. Yeah. I think I think this show just needs a really good director. There you go. And uh, so speaking of directing and show... Indeed, like all shows. Autumn, before we get into should the show be revived, do you have any songs that made your skip list besides the ones we've already talked about? No, not really. I mean, I love this musical. Mm -hmm. Uh it's it's hard to sit through the whole thing, you know. Um, but I love it. Like I think it's I do think it's beautiful. I think it's one of the more beautiful musicals ever written. the the pairing mm -hmm. That Rogers and Hammerstein did on this was astounding. Some of the subplot gets to me. I'm kind of like, hmm. I when I marry yeah. this, no. <laughs> when the children are asleep i don't need so many of their songs i don't care about them as much so <laughs> we'll sit and dream you know okay good for you that sounds nice and boring oh. i know i know and i love that he's a hard worker that's not it it just doesn't make for interesting storylines <laughs> like that's uh, i know us as a, us as a society we just can't take it there's it's the same thing with amos and mr cellophane in chicago that same type of how do we get around with the nice guys you there's somebody's got to figure that out okay all right so now we get into the big question the big debate of the, of the episode should this be revived 
does it still have a place today? Yes or no? Lynn, I want to hear your thoughts first. Well, I've changed completely. Um, okay. You know, be talking about this, you know, blame uh, the awesome autumn. Uh, <laughs> that stories like this have to be seen. Yeah. Uh, you have musicals about uh, uh, a prickly situation. You think that it's a, it is about uh, um, abusive men towards women, abusive marriage. Uh, and yet, at the end of it, the guy could go back to purgatory or to meet somebody with ridiculous wings. Who knows what that's all about? <laughs> uh, and then you, the people who are left, the people who are left are the ones with the hope. You're not yes. walking alone. You've got a community here. You can decide, mm -hmm. join it, to embrace it, to let it lead you forward. Or you can be at a point where you're not ready to understand what your opportunities are and you'll lose. Yeah. And I think that's in this day and age of of people who are confused about all sorts of things, their lot in life, their place in society. You have all sorts of people telling you how to live your life and what you have to do. And, and this is success and failure is a terrible thing. These are, it, it's a terrific musical that embraces all of that. And if we can recognize it, fine. Mm -hmm. I think it's important. Mm -hmm. Autumn? You converted Lynn. What are your um, thoughts? I, I I think it should be done for all the reasons that Lynn has stated. I think it's complex. Mm -hmm. I think, sure, it needs, I need, I think it needs a, a looking at. There are some things that mm -hmm. need to go, especially with our attention spans. I mean, you know, if we yeah. want to make this accessible for a contemporary audience, we, we have so to. So that way got to go. We don't have to change the content. We just have to look at some of the, the things in it. I do think that this is an important story. I, I wish people could find, we could make it more accessible. Mm. People are now afraid of theater because it is so expensive and people view it as alienating. And I think we have done a great disservice through things like Mervich. Yeah, I said it. Stratford, <laughs> uh, Shaw, even um, the, the the even like I don't go to the theater. I can't afford it, and I certainly can't afford to take my kids, who I would love to take to the theater. Do you know what is accessible? Community what? theater, and that's what? why people go to it. What theater? Yeah, community theater. Okay. Um, people go, people go, their houses are packed every single evening and they have built, they have built an established subscriber base. They can do work mm -hmm. that is some of them. I, I couldn't believe some of the work that I saw this year as a, an adjudicator. I was like, this is, amazing. how are you doing this? Then take mm -hmm. people to that if it's affordable yes. and if, it, and if it creates uh, a desire in whoever you're taking to see more, they'll find a way. But I do think that this story should be uh, accessible to a lot of people. I think it, it talks a lot about class. I think it talks, you know, we have great conversations about choice. You can 
have great conversations about gender yeah and what ex societal expectations are mm -hmm. i think you can you know and give half the proceeds to women's shelters oh that'd be good yeah okay like, so uh, mm -hmm. i love that i love that idea so my thoughts on this are autumn you're right it should be done it is it is a problematic musical people should see however with the rogers and hammerstein foundations that control the rights to this they are so against any major changes to their work that i don't know if you could ever fix this enough to make it right for an audience like i don't know how much you could cut or change to this that could actually make it work they made wow. billy into a black person in washington dc yeah yeah but that's that's casting them i mean like going into the script and either this, cutting blow high blow low or fixing this all, you things know. in the script like casting is one thing it's, it's going back into as honestly going back into the book and working it to make things clearer and honing in and, and going back in and doing work on it i don't know if you, i don't know if you're able to so I, I i mean if you're able to do it great until we can do that i don't know if this show can be done properly like as Adam said you can have a great director but until you can get into the source material and really finesse it and dig into this i look at i i was just cutting for for a modern audience because i know that people love one act plays and they you know they clue out there's a cluing out where they they want to go back to their phone they want to do whatever right the mm -hmm. time is time is is a currency that must be mm -hmm. really acknowledged uh in mm -hmm. today's society we do not and this is what is great about this virus it is teaching us to slow down it is teaching <laughs> us to value our health uh our families our mm -hmm. space our safety mm -hmm. without the noise and that's why you know i'm i don't feel pressure to do a ton of stuff as an artist right now it's mm -hmm. about just taking stock and being grateful right so time we have lots of time right now and i i think you know this this play this musical really just needs a director to talk about the intention of the songs i don't mm -hmm. think we need to shift it to dumb it down i mean it would be great in a maybe a little bit more streamlining but mm -hmm. if that's not a possibility let's keep doing it and examining it and talking to the rogers and hammerstein society i don't think it should just go off the table i think you know, oh, yeah. if, if you're gonna throw one off the table throw away the king and i because it is so problematic beautiful problematic <laughs> in a big big way right well we will get to yeah and i but, when we get there but this, i do love king and i this one is it you know people just have to view it with a grain of of open heartedness and curiosity mm -hmm. and not vilify anyone mm -hmm. i mean it'd be it's so easy to vilify some of these people mm -hmm. and i don't you can't do that with us it's more complex mm -hmm. and i think the complexity is is uh, needs to be seen yeah fair enough
Well, I think that about wraps this up for that episode on that lovely nail on the head moment. Lynn, where can people find you and your reviews? Because we want to make sure everybody knows <laughs> where to go read your stuff. Um, uh, slotkinletter.com. Slotkinletter mm -hmm. is all one word. Slotkinletter.com. Mm -hmm. And I have been posting uh, things, so that's where they can find me. And a big thank you once again to our theme music composer, Mr. Brody Wild. Thank you for your wonderful music. And you can still find him uh, composing uh, all over the place. He has his track out once again called Home Decor, all that household furniture. Uh, and he's working on another track that will be released shortly. So keep an eye out on Spotify, Bandcamp, all those sites where you can find music, Apple Music, and you can find his stuff. He is wonderful. Look for him under Father Flozis. Brody. Uh, Brody Weld. We're, 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 he, he's coming on for an episode. He and I are finding the episode we're going to get him on. There, okay. there, there, is, there is potential for an episode. So okay. stay tuned on that front. You can find us at uh, Before the Downbeat on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you can and follow us there. I mean, our Twitter's really picking up now. We're starting to get a lot of retweets and and likes on our stuff there so yay on that front people are engaging with our photos and clues and fun facts on our instas and facebook so keep that up everybody we love seeing what you guys are up to let us know your thoughts on the episode let us know what you think of billy bigelow uh for sure uh and then follow us on our patreon where you can get all types of great things and we're as of today as of this episode i'm announcing that for anybody $3 and up, you will have access to our deleted scenes. So, so, so whenever a new episode comes out, we're going to be, there are see, there are moments and things that I have edited out of the episodes for time or for clarity, and we can put them back in on Patreon so you can hear some extra fun conversations that maybe you sometimes just don't have enough time to get into the episode. And many other things on Patreon, like our musical movie musical commentaries, our monthly theater news review shows, as well as our top 10 um, musical lists that we will be making. Thank you, everybody, for listening in for this episode. Thank I you. think we tackled it really well. Lynn, thank you so much for coming on. And then Autumn, we'll be back next week to reveal the show that's coming after this one. Which, where can see. they find us, Mackenzie, other than before the downbeat? Where, they, where can they find you? Well, they can find me on all social media platforms at Mackenzie Horner. Uh, just look for the ginger hair picture. That'll be me. Really easy to find. Autumn, where can they find you? I'm at Autumn DM Smith or my business name, which is Littlewood Smith. Very good. Wonderful. Thank you, everybody. Thank for you. For tuning in. We will see you next time. Have fun. Have a great day. Bye. Hi, thank you. Blow high, blow low. Oh,